I am so excited to be back for a special Learning with Fourth video where we dive a little bit deeper into some of the things that we've been talking about in our Reading the News Critically course that we've had. I am so excited to get to sit down with the teacher of that course, Benjamin Van Dyne, uh, who has offered two special workshops kind of analyzing what the how the news is produced, how that affects our discussions as society, and so many other things, how we can look at the news more critically. And it's been a wonderful class getting to dive into these themes. So Benjamin, first of all, thanks for, uh, thanks for leading the class, but also thanks for being here for this video. Happy to do it, it's always fun. You know, so I said something there that's kind of leads into my first uh, question that I thought we could talk about for this video. And that is the way that news kind of manufactures the way that we discuss things like that it kind of especially in american culture um especially to be fair like in new york city culture is almost like a whole different uh beast than having lived elsewhere in the country that <laughs> news news whether whether we want to call it that or not uh news is often and always a form of propaganda in the sense that it is dictating the terms that we think about the world in in the sense um, would you like yeah, to talk a little I, bit about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the relationship between news and propaganda is really interesting, right? Because I yeah, think that can also be a part two if we want to. Uh, sure, <laughs> yeah. But I, but I think, you know, the, the word propaganda has really evolved, right? And we think of it in this sort of uh, uh, Cold War sense of like telling lies to the people to get them to believe you or the party or whatever. Um, but it, re it originally meant, uh, you know, certainly among the, the sort of communists and socialists that, you know, had a propaganda, a commissary to propaganda, right? And they were really, this is actually about education, right? About sort of helping people understand the way that the world really is. And the world, the way the world really is, is fear Marxist has to do with sort of the historical development of capitalism and then socialism and that, right? That, but it wasn't about presenting a sort of like shade on the truth that was going to be deceptive, right? It was about sort of finding a way to open up the reality of the world um, to, to the people that you were talking to. And I, and I think in a sense, that's what a lot of news organizations think they are up to, right? Is opening up the world, but, but they, they do, are not always totally transparent or even maybe conscious of the way in which that does help shape the very world that, that people view. Um, I was thinking about um, uh, the, there's an Italian Marxist theorist, Antonio Gramsci, who ended up dying in prison under Mussolini. And one of his really central thoughts as, as a Marxist, he says, listen, it's not, you know, it's not just a question of sort of winning a communist revolution, right? It's a question of the fact that some of these ideas that for him as a Marxist, um, as a communist, like some of these ideas he wanted to promote were simply not within the range of imagination of the people he was talking to. And so he did a lot of thinking, much of it while he was imprisoned, about like, how is it exactly that sort of common sense ideas come to be common sense, right? And, and, and what are the mechanisms in a society that really shape that to become what it is. Uh, and, and you can look at this in all kinds of, like for him, a lot of it was that, um, you know, in Italy, there's like a necessary relationship between the Catholic church and the Italian state, right? He says, but like, that doesn't have to be true, right? That is just sort of the common sense that we as Italians take for granted. Uh, but it could in fact be otherwise if our imaginations could start to, to get us there. 
Um, and so I, I, I'm thinking about that a lot in the context of, of our conversation at Fourth U, uh, because there are certain things that are sort of made imaginable or not imaginable by the way that, that it's offered to us by, by journalism, by the news. Right. Two things um, stand out to me there in thinking about that. Uh, mm -hmm. So first was like the, the possibility that in a sense that, you know, fourth you with our reflections, with things like that, um, that we can also provide narratives that help expand that imagination. Um, uh, like th that's a different function of like um, a UU church versus like a fundamentalist evangelical where it's very much like reinforcing a certain other narrative. Um, and uh, the other thing was thinking about how you, when you're talking about like Italy in the, in the Catholic church, it made me think of the way that, um, that in the United States it's uh, held up like when when things are are going so slowly and horribly in in Congress and the executive branch is conflicting and all sorts of, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the checks and balances working, and like it's good. That means we're having a healthy discussion, and right. um, well, and it does it have to be that way? <laughs> you know, usually yeah. when uh, you know, say when Trump was president, it didn't have to be that way. He just did whatever he wanted and they yelled at him and he just did it anyways. Um, right, and, and like, but, I think an, an idea like moderate, right? Like the, right. as a political framing of like, oh, this, this politician's a moderate, right? Like that does a lot of work, right? Moderate compared to what? Well, moderate compared to whoever has decided they're on either side of that. Right? Radical leftist uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, right, yeah, you, you end up, it's like, yeah, okay, between like, you know, the German right-wing parties and the Nazis, the moderates are actually pretty right-wing, like <laughs> moderate compared to what, you know? Right. Uh, on the first thing though, I'm thinking about, this is a really interesting point you raise about like the role of a, of a religious institution in a place like Fourth U in particular. Um, you know, there's a theologian, Walter Bruggemann, who talks a lot about prophetic imagination, right? And that, and that part of what it means to do prophetic work is to sort of be able to imagine past the limits offered to us by the major institutions of our world, right? Whether that, you know, whether those are the, the institutions that sort of shape our economy or society or our, our thinking, right? Um, and that, that it's in part in that sense that prophetic work is, is God speaking, through prophets, that it's not God is helping you predict the lottery numbers for next Tuesday, but it's God saying, like, no, it's only with divine help that you can really get past the limitations to our imagination that are imposed on us and really do something new. Now, that's Bruggemann, who's a Christian theologian, right? So he has a particular vision of how, like, God operates in that, you know, relative to a prophet and a, and a prophet's imagination. But I think you could imagine different versions of that where you say, okay, well, wherever exactly it comes from, you know, God or, or otherwise, that's what prophetic work means, right? Is to be able to sort of look past what's handed to us and to, to offer a different kind of imagination, right? And I, and I think about this, I mean, you know, in the, in the first session of the course, we talked about, for example, questions of gender, right? Where what is offered to us so much is you know that there is kind of a rigidity to sex and gender um, that it's just a biological reality right um and and so there's like some prophetic work to do to say you know to say and to live the reality 
that like, no, in fact, things are more complicated, right? There is more and better and greater that we can imagine than what has been handed to us. Right, yeah, you know, like uh, that, that, that is an issue that has particular relevance for myself sure. as a trans woman. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that even, even amongst many of the more liberal um, uh, news outlets that, uh, you know, there, there's a willingness to, to meet the far right on the framework. Um, and I think you, you talked a little bit about that in, um, in the first session on how, um, you know, like that the, the, some far right-wing newspaper can sit there publishing 10,000 articles about how being uh, trans is a trend and then, um, and then all of a sudden, then like three years later, then uh, a centered paper will be like, aha, well, lots of people are saying that being trans is a trend right. when really it's the same person over and over again for the last four years. Yeah, I mean, we did, we did talk about this in the last session of this sort of, um, it's the Overton window after right. Mr. Overton. Uh, I believe it was a Mr. Overton, um, who, you know, which is basically like the range of imaginable stuff. Right. And and so I think the the right wing, I think, has been very successful at taking things that used to be unimaginable. Right. Banning abortion used to be like outside, you know, and you're seeing where my hand goes. It was like out of the screen. Right. <laughs> like it was outside the range of what could be thought of. And now, like, damned if we're not in a world where like maybe it's still at the, the banning abortion is still at the right wing. But look, it's in the screen now. It's visible. Right. It's sort of a live possibility. And I think. Uh, others have not done as good a job of um, on many issues in terms of like expanding the Overton window, right? Like making stuff more imaginable um, with the greatest exception probably of my lifetime being gay marriage, right? Which when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s was, you know, basically no elected official at any level was pro-gay marriage. And then there was a shift in the Overton window, right? It became, it became imaginable. And then it really happened. So I think that that's um, that's a piece of this here, right? Is the way that that news organizations sort of get suckered into playing again with the question of like who's a moderate? Well, depends on what's within the range of the imaginable, right? Like if this all shifts one direction or the other, moderate in the middle also shifts, um, and what looks reasonable and centrist and you know um, what the sort of thing that we can all agree on because it's our it's our common sense you know, that people who love each other should get married, right? Well, that's a shift. So I suppose as a final, a final prompt here for us to discuss yeah. would be if there was like one tool that you think like would help, help someone to read the news more critically, like one, one piece of advice that if like you were giving an elevator pitch about like yeah. someone's like, someone's like, hey, I know that you led that course about, yeah. um, like, what does that mean? You know, like, yeah. what is one simple way that people can start just to make even a well, little you, difference? You you asked for one. I'm going to give you two one sentence things. Um, the first thing is just about because it occurred to me, right, that um, with, without really thinking about it, you and I titled this course pretty carefully, right? That it's not finding who out there is critically writing the news. It's critically reading the news, right? And that really there is no shortcut to doing that, right? And, and to actually reading and saying, okay, like this is this is where this evidence is supported. Here's where it's not. Here's where there's sort of a, 
an ideology or an assumption being snuck in here. Um, that stuff is always going on and there's no substitute for learning to do it. So that's the first thing um, that we really are figuring out how to critically read, not just like find the right people to read. Um, with that said, now we need, as you say, like a set of strategies or tips for like how we do that. Um, and I would say if I were gonna pick any one thing, um, I would say it's probably, um, you know, this idea of weasel words. And in the second section of this, for those that are able to make it, we'll sort of go back through this very quickly. Um, but basically these are words that, that hide the question of like, who is saying so and what kind of authority they have, right? So phrases like some people say, evidence suggests, or, or the passive voice, you know. Um, questions have been raised about drag queens, right? Well, who's raising them? Um, or general statements about like, we all know that X, right? And, and once you sort of are starting to keep an eye out for these things, you'll start to see them everywhere because these are all ways of like hedging a lack of knowledge. If I don't know who's raising concerns about drag queens, I'll just say concerns are being raised. Right, and and that's a thing I think that that in the the second uh, session of the course we're going to spend some time practicing and sort of learning to to faster and faster recognize those things, because um, like any skill, it, it takes some practice. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing in the second session. I think that's some some beautiful advice. That was something that helped me as I started my own critical news reading journey. Um, so Benjamin, thanks for, again, for leading the course, but also for being here today to make yeah, this video with me. Thanks so much for having me.